Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. This is Paul's appeal to the people. And the appeal is going to be what he has in common with the people which is the gospel. So as way of introduction, that's important to understand. There's no sarcasm here that he's bringing, but Paul is an excellent arguer of the scriptures, if you, if you would call him that. He doesn't leave any stones unturned. A matter of fact, at, at points in Galatians, you're thinking, why is he going over this again? Well, because he's trying to hit it from a different angle, and he's, and he's, he's excellent at that. So as the Holy Spirit guides them, uh, and then these words are penned down, here's the truth that we get. Brethren, in verse 12 of Galatians 4, when he says brethren, he's showing love to them. Now remember back in Galatians chapter 3, it's a much different tone that he's taking now than, oh, foolish Galatians. <laughs> I mean, he's calling them fools. It's the only time in the New Testament, it's the only time in the Bible where we see Christians referred to as fools, right? We preached on that when we were there. So it's a very different tone now. He says, brethren, he's finding common ground here as we start verse number 12. And Paul is using himself as an example of one of them. And this is real important for us to think about as we go through this message, because he's trying to relate to them on a personal level, a, a personal level. And a good teacher he will try to put himself in the position of the student. Brother Kelly is a woodworker. If I were to go over to Brother Kelly's um, shop, he could put himself in the position of me that knows not much except take a chop saw and go like this. And he can, he can kind of take my position and try to relate to me on a personal level. Or he can make me feel like a dummy because I don't know what I'm doing with woodworking. Same thing, I, if Brother Tom picks me up tomorrow and takes me on the job, he real quick can make me feel like a fool because I don't know, I don't know, I just think you put the plumbing together this way. and it's, No, it's the other way. And Paul really can blast them, but he's trying to get on a personal level with them. And this is the key theme to these verses this morning. All right, let's move on to the next part here. He says, I beseech you. That's an earnest appeal. He's earnest, he's, he's urgently asking them with the expectation that they would actually follow suit. Go back to Galatians chapter 1, and I want you to see something here in verse number 14 of Galatians 1. Uh, he knows the danger that they're in spiritually. He says in verse 14, uh, and profited in the Jews' religion above many mine equals, my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. He was steeped in Judaism. He was steeped in the religion of his fathers. And he was the man when it came to that. And so he's, he's coming to them based on his personal experience and saying, look, I was there deeper into it than you were. And you got to realize, look, I know the danger, God. He's really trying to use himself as the example. He says, be as I am, for I am as ye are. 
He's trying to make the most reasonable request that he can. What I love about Paul, and we need to be careful, or I guess I need to be careful. You would, too, if you think like this. Or Paul, he's so good at arguing that he anticipates the next argument. <laughs> and I need to be, and we all need to be careful that we don't get prideful if we think like that. Because spiritual pride can take over in our lives. And next thing you know, we're blasting people because we're assuming that they're going to go somewhere that they may or may not be going. But anyway, Paul, I said that to say he anticipates the next argument and he addresses it because he's so tuned into the Holy Spirit and what men are going to do. And he doesn't want them accusing him of something that he is not guilty of. And so before they can bring up any ulterior motive, he addresses it. You ever get into a discussion with somebody and they accuse you of something and you're like, that's not my motive. That's not where I'm going. Paul brings that up before they can bring it up. And he says, I'm going to address your motive before you address it, just so you know where I'm coming from. And watch what he says. Ye have not injured me at all. So before they can flip the table on him and say, you're taking a personal attack on us. He's saying, look, look, you guys have done nothing wrong to me. He's saying it's nothing personal. He's making them know that I am not coming to you. Because I believe that you wronged me. And he's addressing this up front. He's got no personal complaint at all with them. And all of the trials that he's been through, all the sufferings that he's that he's been through, he's trying to get them to understand, look, put that aside on the side plate. That isn't even part of the conversation. I'm not even talking about that. Your spiritual health comes first is what he's trying to get them to see. And he is making sure that they know that. Now, if you ever witness to a lost person, I want you to use this thinking when you speak to them you can start if you're out in the street corner handing out gospel tracts and someone comes out of the bar and approaches you as they're crossing the street and you give them a gospel track and you begin to speak to them about spiritual things they may say they may get in your face and say well what's wrong with drinking liquor and you never even said anything about liquor you see, they put on you an ulterior motive that you never, ever had. It wasn't even in your mind, and you never even said that to them. Well, you're more wicked than me because you drink liquor and I don't. So we need to be able to sometimes address these things or anticipate that these arguments are going to come up. How do we do that? Say, look. You see somebody come out of a liquor store, you got to think, well, that guy's going to throw that in my face. So I got to be a little bit more in tune to the Holy Spirit and say, hey, you know what? Jesus came in the world to save sinners. I'm no better than you. Matter of fact, if I were to tell you some of the things that I did before Jesus Christ saved me from my sin. 
you would think you're a good person. <laughs> now, you don't need to get into all of your, you don't need to come in with a dozer and jump all, dump all of your dirt, the dirt laundry on. But do you see what Paul does and how we can take that and apply that to our lives? And when we come across people, try to relate to them on a personal level. This Christianity thing isn't we're better than everybody else. This Christianity thing is it's likely I was worse than you. But nonetheless, we're all in the same boat. I'm no good without Jesus Christ, but he is so good that I want you to have him. We're all in the same boat. Paul's totally in tune to this. All right, let's read two verses. The next two. Verse 13, he says, you know how through infirmity of the flesh, I preached the gospel unto you at the first. And my temptation, which was in my flesh, ye despise not, nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. He's saying this to further hammer down the point. He says, look, we're good. I'm thankful for you guys. There's nothing personal here. As a matter of fact, remember when you guys welcomed me? No reservations at all. He says, look at verse 14. Watch what he says. Ye despise not, nor reject it. <laughs> matter of fact, you guys are so welcoming that you receive me as if I'm Christ Jesus. <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty powerful word picture. Now, Paul knows he's not. But he's saying, look, you guys, but received me. Look at it at the end of verse 14. He says, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Do you see how many layers deep he's going to let them know that, look, you guys did nothing to wrong me. You've been nothing but good to me. And if there's one charge you want to make sure nobody can hold against you as a Christian witness, you and you and your Christian testimony is this. That lost world might think you're nuts for wanting to read a book that's been written how many years ago. They might think you're crazy for getting up and coming to a church house on a Sunday morning to hear somebody speak to you about God's word. They might be your enemy. But one thing you don't want them, you don't want them to accuse you of. That person's always got something personal endeavor against me. You want them to be able to say, you know what? I can't figure these Christians out. They're so nice to me. I can't figure that guy out that stands out in the street corner and hands gospel tracts out to people. I can't figure him out. He's telling me about sin, but every time I try to get him riled up to attack me, he doesn't. <laughs> He keeps sticking to the Bible. I can't. You can contend for the faith without being an arrogant, egotistical, self-righteous Pharisee. And Paul's going over this and he's letting them know, look, you guys didn't do any wrong to me. We meet people out in the street and out and about. You got to let them look. This is nothing personal. You did nothing wrong to me, man. But I got such good news. I'm concerned about your spiritual health. Let me tell you about the Savior. Look at verse number 15. He says, where is then the blessedness you spake of? For I bear you record that 
if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. When I met you guys, it was a blessing to you. But now he says, or he asks, where is then the blessedness you speak of? <laughs> where, where did it go? I met you guys. You received me. It was as if it's Christ Jesus coming. You're ready to pluck out your eyes. I mean, he's really painting some strong word pictures to get them to see how much they loved him. <laughs> and now, <laughs> what happened? <laughs> where did it go? Things were good until they're not good. Man, this is great working for this company until it's not great. <laughs> Things were positive, and now all of a sudden they're negative. People are encouraging to you, and now all of a sudden they're captain critical. You were happy. Now you're just always upset. You're always down the dumps. You're always unhappy. What in the world happened? Paul's dealing with this. You would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. <laughs> the saying, we've either thought this one way or another or have said this in a relationship, whether it's business or personal or, or, or whatever. Look, I'm here. I'll, I'll do anything you need. I'll do anything you want. And then that quickly turns into, you know what, do it yourself. <laughs> Young boy gets a job, you know, 16 years old, and he's, he's going to work for a, a tradesman. And Hey, boss, look, I got you. Whatever, whatever you need, I got it. Whatever you need, I'll get it done. 18 months into the job, he's got all the answers to life. You know what, boss, how about you do it yourself? <laughs> Kids. Want to please their dad. They want to please their mom. Mom, I'll do whatever you need. Dad, I'll do whatever you want. I'm here to serve. I'm here to serve. Something gets in your heart. You know what, Dad? How about you do it yourself? Because I'm going. I got other stuff to do. It happens in marriage relationships. It happens in business relationships. It happens in child and spouse relationships. It happens in all types of relationships. It was good, but then it turned south. I love you turns to I hate you. Oh, you make me so happy turns into I really can't stand you anymore. Can you please get out of here? And Paul is saying, look, you guys are ready to rip your eyes out. You guys are ready to receive me as if, as if I'm Christ, as if I'm somebody. And now you got a hard time picking up what I'm trying to put down for you. They had a really good relationship. And if you're willing to pluck out your own eyes and give them to somebody that needed them, that's love. I think of these people that offer up their blood to people that have these blood diseases that need blood transfusions. When I was in New Jersey, we lived across the street. Our neighbor had a really rare blood disease. And he actually, he literally had to have his blood recycled. And they recycled his blood out and he got a new thing of blood. I think he had to do it more than once. I remember we were praying for him and, and, and our church was praying for him. There was a couple of churches praying for him. It was pretty bad. 
Now, if you're going to give up your blood for somebody, that's love. You're going to give up your organ for somebody, that's love. You know, as people die and they leave their organs to somebody that's waiting on a heart or somebody that's waiting. I mean, that's, I mean, that says you love people. So Paul paints that picture here of the sacrificial love that they had for him. He's trying to get them back to the place where they started so he can help them spiritually. The energy and the passion and, and really, if you think about Paul, he is unstoppable in his persistence. He is persistently persistent. And he won't leave the thing go because he knows how bad it would be for them to go back into law keeping and this legalistic Judaism type of type of mindset. Now, how about us? Are we like Paul? Are we just as convicted that truth should reign over error? And are we, we willing to be persistent about it? Or are we, you know what? This world's just worn me out. People have worn me out. Look, take it or leave it. It's a hard attitude. Until we have our hearts clear, it's going to be hard to get to the place where Paul's at. He could have left out a lot of arguments and said, look, guys, you want the truth or not? Here it is and gone. But he doesn't. He stays with them through Galatians. How can we get to that place? I'm going to give you two things that I think can help all of us, how we can get to the place of Paul. The first one was what I just said is we have to check our heart motives, each and every one of us. Paul's heart was clear before God. Paul's heart was pure before God. And before any relationship can move forward, you have to have your heart clear. You have to have your heart pure before the Lord. That's step number one. Step number two. You actually have to love people. <laughs> and you have to care about people. And I get it, especially senior saints. And we don't have this problem here. We've got a lot of sweet senior saints that have been through a lot in life, have seen a lot in life. I've dealt with a lot in life. And they're still in church. They're still loving on the Lord. They still want to learn. They still want to grow. They still want to fellowship. In other words, they haven't gotten bitter and hate people. <laughs> but that isn't always the case. Sometimes the older we get, the grumpier we get. Sometimes the older we get, the more miserable we get because we're just sick and tired of people. And more and more people that come into our lives, the easier it is to just get sick of people. Because you're just jaded, you're scarred, you're like, here's, here's my wall, get away from me. <laughs> because you've been punched in the mouth so many times, you've been hit below the belt so many times, that all it is now is, who's going to hurt me next? And it makes us bitter. We do these tournaments. Well, we did these tournaments. Now we're trying to get it back. By the way, pray. We're supposed to do something in less than two weeks as long as PA opens up. So just pray that uh, the Lord makes a way for that for us to earn some income. But we do these tournaments, and you can put 200, 300 people in a room that are fighters. <laughs> That's what these guys do for a hobby. They fight. <laughs> They're black belts. They're brown belts. They're, they got 
skills, and they all get along in a competitive environment for eight hours, nine hours, however long we're there. That's a pretty amazing thing. But out of 200 people, out of 300 people, you're going to get two or three that just want to wear you out. You can get bitter and just throw everybody out and think that everybody's just a, 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 pain, in, a pain in the rear. Or you can just take it as a grain of salt and say, you know what? Let me try to love this person, even though they're not loving me. Let me try to be firm with this person without losing my cool. And Paul is so concerned about their spiritual health that he is willing to take the time to go through these tough conversations. I remember one time I had a, a dad come up. I'm trying to get brackets done. He comes up. I got my computer. And he's a desk. And he's right over. And he just lets me have it. He lets me have it. So all I did was close my laptop. And I just listened like this. I leaned forward. And I listened. And I just let him be happy. He, he ripped into me, said some things we can't say from the pulpit. And finally, when he was finished, I said, sir, are you done? He said, I'm done. I said, okay. I understand what you're saying. I guess I did make that mistake. And I tried to fix it. And here's what I was thinking when I tried to fix it. But I guess the solution really wasn't a solution. And I can see how you see that I made it worse. And I probably did. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. If you give me some time to get through this, I'll do another bracket and I'll make it right. He, he huffed and puffed and walked away. Later in the day, before his family left, he came up to me and he said, look, sorry for cursing at you. <laughs> I said, look, I've lost my cool, too. I said, don't worry about it. I said, I appreciate you coming to me. I'm glad we were able to make it right. We'll see you at the next show. And he was appreciative. And I even had to correct him in front because I said, look, can you, you mind watching your mouth? We have ladies around and we have children around. And uh, that didn't help the situation either. But look, it was all said and done. He was good. I was good. But do you see if... I'm not saying I love people all the time because I don't. And I'm not saying I'm, I handle every situation like that because sometimes I don't. But do you see how the love and the concern for people goes farther than the disagreement? It does. All right, so let's move on. By the way, the Bible says in John 8, 32, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. A lot of people botch that verse and say the truth shall set you free. The truth shall make you free. You are made free. And even though the truth makes you free, the truth will also make you some enemies. <laughs> Anybody ever have that? This will be our, our last point. Look what it says in Galatians chapter 15. Uh, let's go on to verse 16 rather. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? I'm not understanding you guys. I'm not picking up what you're putting down. It's not rational. It doesn't make sense. But look, sinners don't make rational decisions. Sinners don't do things that make sense. We're sinners. Sometimes we do dumb stuff. 
Look at Luke in Luke 15 with the prodigal son. The hired servants have plenty of bread to eat. And they're not even in that family lineage of wealth. And then the son's out. He's eating pig's food. It's not logical. It doesn't make sense that the servant, who isn't even part of the family, is eating better than the kid that went out and had to sow his wild oats. Okay, go ahead. And he's going he's gonna to be eating pig's food. Oh, my daughter wants to get a pig. She's normally get a pig, get a pig, get a pig. We're going to get a pig. But I bet you she's going to be happy to go feed that pig. But she's not going to be happy to sit down with those pigs and eat the pig's food. <laughs> she's coming in, in to eat. Mom fixed up. Prodigal son did irrational things. We, as, Christ, as sinners, do irrational things. As Christians, we have to help people see their need for a Savior of their sin. Let's go to Ephesians 4. I'm going to show you something. Ephesians 4. Because you are going to have some enemies. Ephesians 4, verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. You're going to have enemies. Don't turn into that. Don't turn a blind eye. Don't be ignorant. Don't be darkened. Don't be given over to lasciviousness to work on cleanness with meetings. You're going to have enemies. The truth is going to make you enemies, but don't forget the truth shall make you free. Don't forget that. If you preach the truth, if you teach the truth, if you stand for the truth, you will be hated. Do you know how many of 16, 17, 18, 19, 20-year-old boys and girls were just sick and tired of mom and her dragging them to church and her wanting to do right and dad saying, look, I don't want you to run with that crowd. I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to watch that. That's not good for you. Sin is going to hurt you. That crowd is going to hurt you. And they basically said, mom, dad, you're my enemy. I'm out of here. I'm going to do my own thing. You know how many times that happens a day in this world? Praise God, the truth shall make me free. Yes, you are free, except it also makes you enemies. And that hurts. And that hurts. How do you deal with it? You just got to know you're set free in Christ. And as a minister of the gospel, as a worker, as a Christian worker, as a Christian witness, as a Christian person, you are guaranteed to have sorrows and trials and problems. And when it happens to someone you know personally, whether it's a close friend or a family member, it hurts me. My pastor, he started his church way back, way back. Best friend was one of the ones that would lead a church split. It's better when someone you don't know does it. <laughs> And it hurts a lot more when it's somebody who's close to you. It always does. 
It always does. John 15, 25, you don't have to turn there for the sake of time, but this cometh to pass that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. That's Jesus saying that. Do you follow Jesus? You can pretty much bank on the fact at some point you're going to be hated without a cause. Psalm 35, 19 says, let not them that are mine enemies wrongfully rejoice over me. Neither let them wink with the eye that hate me without a cause. I don't want to go down the political road this morning, but I want to make this point. If you cheat to win an election and you win wrongfully because you deceived and lied and cheated, and if you end up getting in because you cheated and everybody is cheering on that side that he won, that he won, that he won, you won wrongfully. And you're rejoicing over the fact that you won because you cheated. I got news for you. Whatever happens with this election, that ain't the first time somebody did something wrong to you and I or somebody something wrong to our family or our community or our nation and got away with it. We got enemies. We can't get rid of it. There's too much evil in the world. Why does truth make you enemies and not friends? Let's get John 3 and Romans 6 and we'll be getting ready to close, but I want to see a few more things before we're done. John 3. And after you get John 3, get your finger at Romans 6. John 3 and Romans 6. We'll do John 3 first. Verse number 19 says, why uh, and this and this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. That's why. Verse 20 for everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. Neither cometh to the light lest his lest his deeds should be reproved. Why does truth make you enemies and not friends? Because the light exposes you and I for who we really are. And the truth hurts. And nobody likes to get hurt. And we've all been there. We've had a conversation with somebody. We've got to give them some strong truth medicine. And it's just like the thing goes south. They think about it for a little bit. Sometimes it goes on the upward. But the truth hurt. Light exposes you. And people don't want to be exposed. That's one reason the truth makes you enemies. One more. Romans chapter 6 verse 1. The Bible says what? Shall we say then, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Verse 2, the answer comes back as a resounding, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Why does truth make you enemies and not friends? Because the truth tells you that you can't continue in sin. You know why a lot of people don't get saved? Because they don't want this book. To be the authority over their life. And they don't want this book telling them that what they're doing is wrong. And that comes along with the Christian package. 
We don't come to God and God doesn't save us because we're just so wonderful and he wants another snuggle button. Christ died on the sin to be completely obedient to the Father, to please him and to save us from our sins. And he expects some things from us. No husband marries his wife. No wife marries a husband and just says, yeah, I love you and I can just do whatever I want. No, there's some expectation. That wife expects some things from that man. That man expects some things from that wife. That's how re real relationships work. Uh, it's called love. <laughs> Anybody hear that? Anybody remember that God is love? <laughs> but the truth says you can't continue in sin. Proverbs 29, a man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. As we close, I want to say this. Expect, as Paul did in these verses, and he's trying to teach us, accept, expect sinners to be confrontational. Expect sinners to be irrational. Expect sinners to do things that just don't make sense. But be like Paul. Don't get bent out of shape. Relax and breathe. And just say, wait, wait, hold on a second. Weren't you ready to just give me one of your eyes? Weren't you ready to pluck your eye out for me when we first met? It's a pretty strong picture he gives. Don't get discouraged. Last verse, 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter number 4. Don't get discouraged. 2 Timothy chapter 2, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and look at verse 24. Don't get discouraged. Here's how you handle sinners that are unreasonable. Here, here's how you handle not getting discouraged. And I'll close with this. And the servant of the Lord, is that you? That's me. Must not strive, but be gentle unto all men. Can you do that? I'm going to pray about it. But be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, Instructing those that oppose you, no, that oppose themselves. They're not opposing you. They're opposing themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance, we remember that they're not opposing you. They're opposing themselves in God. And we pray that God will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. You can't make him. You can't force him. You can't do a magic trick of words to try to trick him into. You can't do any of that. You have to pray that they would repent to God and then come around to acknowledging. Thank you for listening to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. In the meantime, you can sign up for our email newsletter at www.pilgrimbaptist.church.